you're a guest with us, uh, we're honored that you would spend a, uh, choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. So we're thankful and really, really happy um, that you, uh, you guys are here. Uh, this is a special morning for us. This is the, um, the last um, day we'll be in this facility. Um, yeah, so uh, kind of mixed, mixed emotions. There's some cinem- uh, uh, nostalgia with this, um, but we're also really happy about where God is moving us next. Uh, we'll have more about that at the end of the service, more details to make sure you're clear on everything uh, that's happening involving the move um, next week. But we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to pray and we're going to uh, jump into the sermon. Father, we thank you, uh, just especially today, there's just this heightened sense of uh, um, just your blessing and kind of reflecting over the last almost five years that you've had us in this facility, um, just how thankful we are and thinking of, of uh, not that we by any means have it together now, but five years ago, we sure didn't have it together. And just that you took care of us. Um, you brought Bethel Baptist Church along who um, chose to partner with um, a little church plant at the time and allow us to use this facility. And um, we've been using it for almost five years now. And we thank you for your provision in that. And I pray that as we open the word this morning that um, we would understand and we would approach it like it is your very words, that it's without error, that it's inspired, that it has the power and ability to change our minds and change our hearts and change how we live when we leave this place. And we're thankful for your word. And we pray that your spirit would move and change and uh, make us into a new people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we began a series where we are going through the book of Genesis. Going through the book of Genesis. And the way we're going to preach through this book um, is really going theme by theme. Normally we try to do a verse by verse through books of the Bible approach, but we feel like that Genesis lays out really well um, theme by theme. So that's kind of how we're going to take this book of, of the Bible. Now, there are going to be some times in Genesis where um, the narrative is going to pick up and we're going to move pretty quick. And there are going to be times in this book where we really need to slow down and really dig into what um, God's Word is saying and go a little slower. And we happen to be at the beginning of this book in in a period of time um, in this book where we got to slow down. There are a lot of major topics and things to really get into in just the first couple of chapters of this book. So that's what we're going to do today. It's going to, for the next, actually several weeks, we'll be in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But then after this, it begins to pick up. And as we move through the book, it will naturally pick up steam as the narratives get longer and more sweeping. And we will kind of pick up the theme-by-theme approach uh, when that happens. And last week, Blake kicked off the series by really looking at the who of creation. Like, like God, and obviously the Bible says God created, really focusing on God's nature and his character and, and how he is behind creation. And then today, we're going to talk about the why. We're going to build off the who of creation and talk about why. Why did God create? Using the same uh, verses we looked at last week, we're going we're gonna to tackle that question. Before we get into this, I just want to say that in the next few weeks, um, and, and really throughout this whole series, there are going to be weeks where um, the topics talked about are going to bring up uh, more questions and there is time to deal with 
the answers. Um, and I believe this last week and especially this week is one of those occasions. And because of, people may have questions, you may have questions that come up as I'm preaching through this. And because um, there's just not time in this venue to, for you to just open up and ask questions, we kind of wish there was, but there's not. And so we want to try something different. And we're going to maybe do this throughout Genesis, just depending on how it works. So um, on the screen, there are two ways um, you can ask questions. Let's see, yeah, there you go. Um, two ways you can ask questions. So you can email in. At, at info at provroad.org. In the subject line, just put Genesis questions. Or if you want to text to that number, that's our Google Voice number that's connected to the church. So we will get those texts. And in either of those ways, just put Genesis question and then ask your question. If we feel like it's a question that multiple people are asking or that needs to be addressed in, in a kind of a large format way, we will put it up on the blog, the answer. But if it's something that's a little bit more nuanced and detailed, um, we will just answer you directly. And uh, if, we can't, if we don't have an answer for you, we will provide resources and give, point you in a direction where you can dig a little bit and maybe come up with um, an answer yourself. But we want to just provide that way, that platform for you to engage a little bit more with the book of Genesis. Because there are questions that will come up that we just don't have time to dig into. Okay, just make, make, your, make sure you're aware of that. So take that down, the, the, that information down if you need it. There are 66 books in the Bible. 66 from Genesis to Revelation. But the Bible is also one grand story from Genesis to Revelation. It is the story about God revealing himself to creation. God revealing himself to creation, communicating to the world who he is. That's the point of the story. And if you break down the story a little more, you can actually set it up. It sets up really nice in four acts. You have creation, you have fall, you have redemption, and you have restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And in my experience, we tend to be pretty good at thinking about those middle two acts, the, the fall and the redemption, where sin plays out and where Jesus comes on the scene fully in, 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 in the incarnation, okay, and the cross and the resurrection. We're, we kind of get those things, and maybe to some degree, um, the restoration, that fourth Piece, but I feel like we're most of us are pretty quick to move on from this first act of creation. Maybe it's because there's just two chapters really devoted to it in the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2, directly at least. Um, maybe we just think, okay, I, I get it, God created, now I'm going to kind of move on from that. But I think it would be a grave mistake for us to hurry through their creation. To fully understand who Jesus is, you can, or you can't fully understand who Jesus is unless you get Genesis 1 and 2. You don't have salvation without Genesis 1 and 2. You don't understand what your purpose is without Genesis 1 and 2. If you don't understand Genesis 1 and 2, then what's the point of being here? Like Genesis 1 and 2 speaks into every aspect of our lives. These two chapters are huge, and there's so much depth to these chapters if we just kind of stop and really look at what these chapters are saying. So we can't rush through creation. So today, we're going to talk about the why. Like I said, before getting into the why, I want to quickly touch on two other questions that are probably going through people's minds as we go through Genesis. It's the how and the when. How did God create and when did God create? Okay, Like Blake said last week, Genesis does not set out 
to answer, primarily answer those two questions. Genesis primarily is about who created and why he created it. Now, should we be able to talk about how was it created and when was it created? I believe so. I believe so. But those are, these are secondary questions, so I'm going to give a very, very brief overview of these two questions for the next few minutes, and then we'll jump into the why. So when you're talking about the how and the when, you're really talking about two separate things, and it's important to think of it this way. So let's take the how. When you think of the how, you really have three different camps or groups of beliefs that fall under these three camps. This is really simplistic, okay? But for the sake of time, I have to be simplistic. Uh, the three camps are Darwinian evolution, theistic evolution, and intelligent design. Okay, let's take, briefly take all three of those. Number one, Darwinian evolution. Okay, built into the idea of evolution is these, these two really tenets of chance and purposelessness. Okay, that's built into evolution. Okay, so because the Bible clearly teaches that God created everything, that was clear from last week, that's the who. The Bible is clear on that. God creates. Darwinian evolution is not an option as far as the Bible goes, okay? It, it contradicts the Bible. The Bible contradicts it, okay? So let's set that one aside. That's on, that's on one end of the spectrum. Move towards the middle a little bit. You have what's called theistic evolution, okay, theistic evolution. This, this um, view says that God created everything at the beginning. God created it all, and then he takes his hands off of everything and allows the evolutionary process to take shape. Now, remember, built into the idea of evolution is chance and purposelessness, okay? So it's one thing to remember. And so if you read Genesis, the one thing we see that, that is nothing was done by chance. And everything that God did in creation has a purpose. And so for God to take his hands off of that process, sounds a little bit like deism, um, it doesn't reconcile with the Bible, in my opinion. Like you can't reconcile theistic evolution with the scriptures. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, we have intelligent design. Intelligent design. And I think this is the view. If you're going to read the Bible, I think you can come to a conclusion that the how of creation is intelligent design. Not only was there a creator, but the creator was involved in every step of the process. Every step of the process, including Creation of man and woman. If you're a theistic evolution person, you get to, if God took his hands off, you get to the creation of man and woman. And it's clear from that passage of scripture that God hardwired man and woman. He fashioned them. He, he used detail in creating them. He says he makes them after his own image. So how could God take his hands off of that process when he was creating man and woman? Okay, so that's the how. Okay, I think that's, that's more straightforward than what we're going to talk about next is the when. The when. Okay, there's a lot of debate on the when within conservative, Bible-believing Christians. Okay, scholars, theologians, pastors disagree on the when. Okay, if you drew a line down all the people, down the center of all the people who were influenced by, who we listen to, who we read, if you drew a line down the center, you'd probably find half of them in one side of this debate and half of them in the other side of this debate. Okay, this, this, this is one that is, that is always talked about. And it's referred to in different ways, but uh, today I'm going to refer to, to one side as the old earth creationists and new earth creationists. Again, when was the world created? This is the question that it's getting after. Old earth creationists believe the earth was created 
5 billion to 15 billion years ago. Okay, that's when the, the, the earth was created. New earth creationists believe the world is 6,000 to 10,000 years old. Again, overly simplistic, but the majority would fall into those, um, those ideas. Now, the difference in these two comes down to how do you interpret Genesis 1? If you take a more literal reading of Genesis 1, that these are actually days, 24-hour periods. God did it in six 24-hour periods and then rested. You're a young earth creationist because you can then, from that point, trace it forward and actually count years throughout the Old Testament and get pretty close to when the earth was created. Okay? Now, if you're an old earth creationist, you, you really are reading Genesis 1 differently, okay? And there is evidence for this. You're reading Genesis more like poetry, something you would read in the Psalms or Ecclesiastes, okay? So when you see those word for days, because it's poetry, there's some flexibility in how you interpret what's the time frame of an actual day in Genesis 1. Are these ages? Are these epochs? Like how much time is in each of these time periods when God is creating. So there's some flexibility there to say that, God, that, that the earth could be older than young earth creations think it is. Now say this, I think both of these views are orthodox. Like you can be a conservative Bible-believing Christian and believe either one of these views. I think there's enough evidence on both sides to be able to say this, because I think Genesis 1 is difficult to interpret. Scholars don't even agree what kind of literature Genesis 1 is. It's a really hard passage to determine what genre does it fall in. So I want you to hear that. Now myself, I tend to be in the more of the young earth creation camp. I'm not going to die on that hill. I haven't done a, a ton of study in it, but for when I have study, I feel like I'm going to read that, that chapter literally until I am for sure that it's not to be read literally. Now there are people I know and people that I respect, obviously, that are in the other camp. We think there's an next flexibility that we need to be open that those aren't 24-hour periods. So for you, I think you have to say, and you have to answer who the who is, and that's God. That is clear from the Bible. God created and he was involved in every step of the way. Now, after that, how old was the earth? And I think that's something I would encourage you to study more on your own. I can point you to resources. Um, again, it's, 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 it'll, it's a deep rabbit hole that you have to do a lot of studying on, I think. But I think we should. We shouldn't get hung up on it because, again, that's not the purpose of Genesis 1. That's not the primary reason why Genesis 1 was written. However, I think it is something we should be able to talk about a little bit with people. And we shouldn't just sweep it aside and say, oh, that's not important. No, I think it is important. It's just not primary for Genesis 1. So, I'm going to move on now to the why, but I know those questions were probably bouncing around in your head. So, I wanted to give you at least a, a small framework to begin, maybe on your own, jumping in and studying more of the how and the when. Okay, so why did God create? Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Let's read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. We see the triune God here existing before the foundation of the world. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing together as the Trinity before anything was created. 
But when God was there, the Trinity was there, it says that the earth was dark, and it was formless, and it was void. And the first thing God addresses is the darkness. We see in verse 3, God speaks and says, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, he, he created light for the darkness. Notice the similarities between Genesis 1 and John 1. Listen to John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and later in this chapter, John would define that as Jesus. The Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see the echoes of Genesis 1. Even as the, John here is talking about Jesus, he's, he's, he has Genesis 1 in his mind. And you see again that this light idea again in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Paul says, For God who said, let light, sh let, let light shine out of darkness, again, quote from Genesis there, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So you see these are connected. Like we can read the New Testament and understand Genesis. And the fact that Genesis 1 has major implications on the New Testament. We see that right here. We also see that God reveals himself to us by speaking. Right? God reveals himself by speaking. We see it in Genesis. We see it in his word. He's spoken in his word. He's revealing himself today to us by his spirit through his word. Okay? If God doesn't speak, there's no creation. If God doesn't speak, there's no salvation. There's no world. The very act of God speaking to us is one of grace and mercy. He's merciful in that he can speak and creation happens. So when it comes to God revealing himself, there are two kind of theological ideas we need to understand to be able to kind of frame, like I think, Genesis 1 in our mind and how it fits with the rest of Scripture. Okay? The two ideas are general revelation and specific revelation. Okay, general revelation, specific revelation. Let's look at general revelation first. Okay, general revelation is general in the, in, in, the, in the idea of content and scope, meaning that in general revelation, you can see something and see God, maybe a lot of God, who he is, but you don't see all of God. It's general. We get a general idea of who God is. The mountains, sunsets, oceans, these kinds of things. You, you can tell of God through these things, but not all of God. And then in the scope, it means it was just, it was, it was revealed to everyone. God has revealed himself to all human beings that have ever lived, that are living now, that will live. He's revealed himself in general revelation to all of humanity. To all of humanity. So keep in mind when we're walking through this, we're walking through these passages, that the primary purpose, and this is the why, the primary purpose of creation is God for God to reveal himself to humanity. That's the primary purpose. So God can tell the earth who he is. He wants us to see himself in creation. Listen to Romans 1, verse 20. Paul has Genesis 1 in mind here. He says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Human beings are without excuse because he's revealed himself to all 
creation. All humans, so they were without excuse. Now, Genesis 1, quickly, just to give you an idea of the outline here, is broken down into two sets of three days each. Okay, The first set of three in the creation order here, God is creating the environments. He's creating the environments where other things are going to be put. Okay, There's order to how God is creating. Okay, And the second set of these three, life is going to be brought forth. And life is going to inhabit these environments that God has created. So we've seen him already address the darkness in verses 3 through 5. Now he's going to address the formlessness and the void. Okay, So let's look at verses 6 through 10. He addresses the formlessness in days 2 and 3 here. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, here it is, verse 9, And God said, he speaks, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So you see that God is bringing order to the chaos here. There was, it was formless, but God is bringing form to the earth here. He's forming a system, something that works, something that's organized. God is a God of order. Those of you who love organizing, you love arranging, you're neat. Everything has its place. You're taking after your creator. Be proud of yourself for that. You're taking after your creator. It's a gift, okay? We see God doing it right here. He's bringing order to chaos. Over the next 15 verses, we have God creating on days 4, 5, and 6. Okay? Verses, in verses 11 through 13, on day 4, God spoke the vegetations, plants, and fruit into existence. Now he's starting to fill the earth with life. In verses 14 through 19, on day 5, God spoke and created the sun, the moon, and the stars. Which then he says, this is designed so there's seasons. We know when days end and begin. We can start kind of maybe putting, the, humans can start putting together a calendar. Because there's some order to the sun rising and the moon. And you get days and weeks and months and years and all of those things as a result of God creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then on day 6 in verses 20 through 23, he creates the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and the marine life of the water. Those are the first six days. And he goes on to create man, which we'll get to here in a second. But we see here that he is life-giving. He's bringing life forth. The Trinity there together has community before the foundations of the earth. There's, there's perfect love and harmony and peace between the Trinity. And, and God creating life is just like an overflow of his being. It's an overflow of who he is to bring life forward on earth. That's why when we see these things on earth, we need to see them and see the creator in them. God has brought forth everything we see. Everything that has breath is put there by God for us to see them and then say, God, you're great. God, you're amazing for creating this beautiful thing that I'm looking at. So he doesn't just create the environment. He actually puts things there to fill it, to bring forth life. Then in verses 26 through 31, God creates man and woman in his image. We will discuss this passage a lot more in a couple of weeks, but for today, 
think the important thing to see today is that after everything that God, remember, this is the holy, perfect God. You, you talking, creating a system, creating something, I mean, this is perfection, okay? The God of perfection creates, and then he sits back on each day and says, it was good. Like, think about that. Like, like God's going to be judging himself pretty hard, you would think. Like, he's perfect. And for him to say, it's good. This is good. After those first things he created. And then he comes to man and woman. We know he changes it a little bit. He says, this is very good. That there was something different that caused him to say, this is really, really, really good. This is very good. It's interesting, God is evaluating, almost like he's sitting back and he's evaluating his creation and being like, yes, this is good, this is right, this is perfect. God loves his creation. You think about this, I think in relation to the father and the son imagery here, I I can think of those of us who are, especially your parents, and I'm a fairly new parent, but thinking of, of my son, like, there are times, I think, when I've thought of, like, especially when he's sick or he's hurt or it's evident that he's in need of something. There are these just almost unexplainable feelings, and they're so strong that well up inside of me that says, I would give this little two-year-old anything right now. I mean, I would give him anything, give up my life for him. And, and, and not only my life, but even just step back, I would give him anything that made his life like better, or uh, that, that was for his good. So when God is, is creating man and woman here, we see later that he says to have, have dominion. Like, this is yours. Take care of this. Have stewardship over this. You're the apex of my creation. Not the mountains. Not the oceans. Not these amazing, beautiful plants and flowers. No, you're the crown jewel of my creation, and all this other stuff I've created, it's yours to enjoy, to take care of, to steward. It's all for your good. It's all for your joy. Do we see creation like that? So oftentimes I just kind of skip over that, and I'm not thinking that deep about creation. This interesting thing about dominion here, which again, we'll talk about in a couple weeks, but this is why faith, uh, uh, faith and science or religion and science don't have to be at odds. Because if you see science as something where God creates, and then you have this thing called science that over many, many, many years, thousands of years, science is just simply peeling back the layers of God's intelligent design. Oh, wow, this new discovery. Oh, wow, this new discovery. God has hardwired all of this into creation, and as humans, we're just here kind of discovering things about God. And that is science. That's why science and faith don't have to contradict each other. Okay? The science is simply the, the unfolding of what God has created for us to learn about and enjoy. He created everything for our good. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. It's like we're here this morning singing and, and praising him as we sing these songs that like the heavens are doing that as well. The earth is doing that. The, the trees are clapping. The oceans are clapping for him. Saying, look at God. Look at my creator. How amazing and awesome and wonderful is he. This is creation. They're declaring the glory of God. This is the point of general revelation. The sunsets. The mountains, 
the beaches, a newborn baby, an unbelievable work of art. Like those things are created as a part of general revelation for us as human beings to say, wow, that thing is so amazing and beautiful and wonderful and it's producing these feelings I can't describe. Maybe those are feelings of worship for the creator. They were made for our good, for our joy. Romans 1.21 says this. It's Paul again, talking about general revelation. Talking about human beings. It's all of creation, again, their job, it's, they're worshiping right now. It's talking about humans here. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So human beings are the ones who have uh, not done a good job of worshiping. General revelation. We see these things of God all around us, and all of us, without intervention, he's talking about us here. All human beings. He revealed himself to us in general revelation, but we don't return that with worship. We don't respond to that in worship. And here's Paul's going to continue on in verse 18 here. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So man sees what God has created and then he suppresses it. He, he pushes it down. He disregards it. He shuts his mind off to it. He shuts his heart off to it. And we do this without even knowing it. And this is common amongst all human beings. We all suppress it. And how, how great is the, is the evil to see all these things around us, all these things that we've mentioned, the sunsets, the, the beauty, the, 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 the first words of a child, Day by day, we see these things. We take these pictures. We, we see these works of art, and we say, wow, what a beautiful work of art. What a beautiful sunset. What beauty in the oceans and the beaches, and they bring us so much joy, and we don't give any thought to the one behind them who created them. We enjoy these things. We consume these things, and we don't even think about our creator. I'm going to keep on enjoying creation without even thinking about the creator. And all these things are yelling out and declaring, God, look at God. Look how wonderful he is, how beautiful he is. See those pictures of space. It's like you can't even, like I can't, my mind doesn't even, can't even wrap it around everything that's out there beyond earth that humans haven't even got a clue about. He wants us to marvel in just the vastness and, and the, the hugeness of that. But so often, we don't. We suppress it. We see it. We suppress it. We give him no honor. We give him no glory for the things he's created. That's humanity. So what's the hope? Where's the hope? If this is how we treat general revelation... Where's the hope? God needed to do a better work. He needed to do a greater work. And this is where we get to special revelation. 
to greater works in general revelation. It's special in content. The other was general in content. This is special in content because he has given us Jesus, who Colossians says is the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus says, when you see me, you see God. God sent Jesus as the greatest form of revelation of himself to humanity because we didn't get general revelation. We didn't get it, Paul says in Romans 1. And in scope, it's revealed to those whom God reveals, chooses to reveal himself to. That's the scope of special revelation. Because we know, we know that not all people are saved. He has revealed himself to some. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 6. That verse we read. An echoing of Genesis 1. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. God shone the light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He shined the light in our hearts so that we would know God. So that now we would know and put together, oh, Jesus, this is the God who has revealed himself in a very general way to all the world. The Spirit, faith and grace of the Spirit, it awakens us to see the beauty and love and glory and honor of God. So this light that brings forth and, and, and springs forth in special revelation, it's not the light. It's not, it's not the same as the sun. Because we were too sinful to see the sun and say, oh, that's God. I want to worship him. We were too sinful to see that. So he needed to send Jesus, another light. He's shown himself out there for thousands of years, and that didn't work. So he had to shine his light inside of us to awaken us from within, to make us new creations, to cause us to want to love him, know him, pursue him, worship him, honor him. Something outside of us have to come inside of us to awaken us to his beauty. And special revelation involves words, just like general revelation did. See, in Genesis Revelation, you have words, and God said, and God said, and God said. Special revelation he sent the Word, capital W, Jesus. John 1 there we read earlier. He sent Jesus as the ultimate Word of God. The very words found in the Scriptures. With this Word, men can be saved. And this is the Gospel. Because the mountains weren't saving anybody. The solar system isn't saving anybody. So something else had to be sent, namely Jesus, to save us. General revelation can cast out physical darkness, we've seen in the creation account, but only special revelation can cast out spiritual darkness in our hearts. So what are the, what are the takeaways? Three quick takeaways from this, I think, that can help us kind of take Genesis 1 and really allow it to change us this week. First, take time every day to enjoy God's general revelation. If you're not doing that, some of, I think some people are better than others at that. I'm not great at that. Take time to enjoy what God is telling you about himself through creation. Don't suppress it. Don't disregard it. Don't get used to it. Go look at a tree that's an old tree 
That's prob- think about how many sunrises and sunsets that tree has seen in all the years that it's alive. And how many times that he saw that, the tree saw the sun come up. Just like imagine, just imagine that. And just wonder and marvel at the beauty of a tree or the ocean. Or watch a kid play a little bit and just see like the unhindered joy that kids play with that adults sometimes have too much baggage now to actually enjoy like a kid would. Enjoy those things. Also under that same one, consider, consider the, the, the divine and design and order of the earth. Like if anything was out of place, and you can really dig into this as far as the tilt of the sun and the moon and how things rotate in the speed, all those things in astronomy, like it's mind-boggling that if one thing was off a little bit, everything is chaotic again. So there is design. Look at the human body. Crazy amounts of design in the human body. Take time to see this because it increases our capacity to actually enjoy God. It increases our capacity to worship God when, yes, we look at Jesus, but we can also look at the human body and the human eye and like, what in the world, God? Like, you are amazing to create something that we don't even understand how it works. So that's the first thing. Second thing, recognize that human beings are the apex of God's creation. So when you see another human being, see an image bearer of God. The ones that annoy you, that frustrate you, that you want to hate, they're image bearers of God. They're worthy of value because of who created them. God is worthy of value, and he created them in his own image. So when we see another human being, try before we see anything else. This is an image bearer I'm looking at. And be interested in human beings. Like, get to know people's stories and how all of our stories are so different, and none of us are the same, and we all have different ups and downs in our life, and just... Just get wrapped up in how interesting human beings are. Understand people. And this leads straight into fighting on behalf of um, the worth and dignity of human beings, those who aren't getting it, to stand up for justice. This is the, the foundation for why we need to be a people of justice and fight injustice because of being made in the image of God. Like I said, we'll have a whole sermon on that in a couple of weeks. Lastly, Just like general revelation doesn't bring people to God. It it couldn't. By just being good people and loving people well with our actions isn't going to bring anybody to God. Words have to be spoken. The gospel has to be heard. The scriptures say that people must hear in order to believe. So just like a special revelation was needed in word, Jesus and the scriptures... That was given to us so that people would believe as we live our lives. Yes, we need to be people of justice and fight for justice and love people well, but people will not come to God without talking about Jesus and the good news and the hope that he brings for people who are far from him. So we, again, love people well, do the general revelation, show people how wonderful God is by our actions, but we all have to speak about Jesus. We have to open our mouths for God to be fully known and for Jesus to be fully known and for people to be able to place their faith and trust in Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you even in something like the creation account. That if we look at it in a surface level way, we see that you are the creator, and that's evident. But once we really start to think about other scriptures that we see in the word, in the New Testament even, and filter those back through Genesis 1, how it just opens up a whole nother, um, just open up other ideas and thoughts of who you are. And I pray that um, if we don't hear anything else this morning, I pray that we would know that God creates in order to reveal himself to humanity. I pray we would, as we walk through this life day by day, that we would see things and we would see that God is behind everything. He is the creator. And he is deserving of honor and praise and glory because of general revelation. But we can be thankful, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we can be thankful that he sent Jesus as a special revelation so we would finally get it. We would have one who would be our savior. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.